I'll be too nervous to. I'll probably lost the words. to another edition of the Lost Words podcast. We're here with the DraftKings show again. Matt Vincenzi is with me again. Matt, hello. Hey, how's it going? Yeah, it's really good. Look, we had a, uh, a good week in Sony last week. It was a, a hugely exciting tournament in the end. Uh, over here in the UK, Russell Henley was, I think, four clear by the time I finally gave up and just went to sleep. Um, it felt like he was doing everything he needed to do. He was making the parts he doesn't normally make. And uh, I gave up, and then I woke up in the morning, and Hideki Matsuyama had won. Um, <laughs> kind of the story of Russell Henley's career so far. Um, I, I felt quite justified. I was saying sort of earlier in the day, because I was kind of doing all the stuff that who's sort of held on to leads, who's come from four back, etc. Because there was a kind of the target behind Matsuyama, and and then I sort of said, you know, but all everyone is kind of fading Henley. Everyone's kind of jumping down that he's he's going to blow it away, and. I was like, not all leads are, are equal, right? I know he's thrown away two, three-shot leads after 54 holes, but this is on a course that he's won before, he's familiar with. Um, it, it's a course that's easy for everyone, so as much as everyone can catch up with him, he kind of put the foot down, and, and he did that on the front nine, right? I think he had a five-shot lead going into the turn. Um, and then, you know, as much as he threw away, Hideki obviously kicked on as well. But how did you... Did you have confidence in Russell Henley going into the final round? Uh, I, I thought, same as you almost. I was thinking, everyone thinks he's going to choke, therefore he probably isn't going to, just yeah. because it's it's too easy to say he was going to. I was on him at Wyndham when he choked that one away, and so and, and a lot of people were. So a lot of people were scorned by him, so that's why they said that they said he's going to choke it. But turns out that, that they were right. I, I thought there was definitely a chance that he could, but um, you know, in, in the end he did. But like you said... It, five shot lead on the back nine and you failed to make a single birdie and so many of those holes are birdie holes you had the closing par five and he just couldn't get it done and you got to make birdies in this type of, of an event especially on the back nine and closing but it and he he was in such control on the front nine and every approach shot was eight to 12 feet and he was making his pots he looked you know the going into the round i thought he probably would he probably could blow it but at, during the front nine, I said, oh, this, looks, this guy looks like a different guy today. And um, But no, it, everything changed when he got to the 10th, 11th hole, and he let it go. Yeah, and, and the thing is, right, you know, when, when he came out, he, he won his very first PGA Tour uh, start as a professional. And, um, you know, that, that doesn't happen on this goal on board, why like, and, you know, just doesn't happen in general, really. And like you say, he birdied number two. Uh, slowed down between three and five and then it was birdie 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 eagle and you're like okay this is it like he's he's done it right and quickly makes a bogey at 11 and you can just see then that that just tightens up i mean i haven't, I haven't watched it back fully but you can just tell from the card almost but then you look on the flip side not many people have two shot leads and then shoot at 65 and still lose so it's it's kind of tough right i think like he'll be looking at it going that's just typical of my career of, of late like that, that's just kind of what's happened to me Hideki's had to shoot two 63s over the weekend to win um so it's a kudos to him I think you know we we said last week to me on the show that, that the Hideki was going to be the smart play in the in the 10k plus range because people were going in so many different directions and that the course form might put people off and and here we are talking about him winning on that Monday morning Monday afternoon yeah I wish I listened to uh 
you know what we said because <laughs> yeah. I said it's a good it's a good move because everyone was playing Webb and I and I didn't like Webb and you didn't either. We talked about how we thought he'd be a good fade this week. How Webb always plays his course as well, but he isn't Webb right now. So that came to fruition, and the and the move was to go to Hideki because he was the guy who. He fit the trends. He had played. He, it's not like he was terrible the week before. He was pretty good, and no one was really playing him. So uh, he ended up being the right play. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And you know, it, it was generally speaking, you know, we'll, we'll remember it now. Kind of what went right for us and what went wrong. You know, it was our first episode last week, and you mentioned there that we we decided to fade Webb. That went well. We we picked up Matsuyama for what it was, and that was obviously perfect. Um. The not so good. I was very bullish on Joel Damon. Um, that obviously ended badly. Um, I think yourself, you, you sort of faded Corey Connors and, and backed Mark Leishman. And I suppose in terms of the payoff for his salary, you, you could argue that fading Connors wasn't necessarily a terrible choice, like the ownership and the fact that he didn't, you know, didn't have the mm-hmm. winning upside or even the, the top five upside. So it was more that Leishman didn't do his bit that, that kind of people expected, right? And. I think it's really, it's obviously, you know, we're going to go through the ones that are still that we got good on top of that as well, but it's really hard to get everything right. You know, when I look through my, my lineups, I had some like three or four lineups that were, that were going for me, and then all of a sudden, Joel Damon doesn't make the cut, and Tom Hoagie doesn't make the cut, and they're, they're all kind of in like different ones, and I had all the right players just all in the kind of wrong build, and and that's where you have to, to really to nail it in terms of actually putting the perfect lineups together. And it is, it's just so hard to do if you're only playing limited amount of uh, lineups. Ugh, it's, it's almost impossible. I had a similar situation. Uh, I think I I slightly cashed with a, you know, minimum cash with a five out of six. I think I had Grace in that lineup, but um, that was the one I had Kisner and Cooch in there. So it's it's tough. You, you got to, it has to be perfect. It's not just picking the right guys, but it's grouping, to, grouping them together correctly. So uh, let's see if we can, get it done this week yeah i mean look let's just go through um you know another couple of our, our highlights really that i thought I, I was really sort of happy that we picked off obviously Seamus power it kind of writes itself he was brilliant he was right in contention did slow down uh the putt was really hot for the first three or four holes and then it kind of tallied off but that's to be expected right he finished top three and and, and that's really impressive uh you were against your normal instincts quite keen on on kevin kisner weren't you yeah, I I, n- I never play him, I never bet him, but I thought it'd be a great spot for him. And actually, and I had an outright bet on him, and I was thinking after the, he birdied the first three holes, I thought we were in business. But then he started missing a couple of seven footers. But obviously, that that third place finish paid off his uh, pricing. Yeah, exactly that. And then the other one that, that was really good, and and I I basically stuck in a couple of lines after speaking to yourself was Matt Kucher. Um He's been really solid throughout the season, and. I'd kind of been saying on the betting show that he he was showing life and it was good and it was and it was stuff to look forward to, but I wasn't quite as as convinced as you were that he could he could pay off as much as he did and it worked out really well for you. Yeah, we did make some great picks last week. You know, looking back on, it, I thought there would be a couple more that we missed on, but we didn't really miss on much. No, nope, no, absolutely not. I think we you know we're, we're pretty happy with that because Sweden how it was good. Uh, and Keith Mitchell, I was really happy with as well. So, um, from a betting perspective, he just kind of missed out on the the top five money. But um, you know, fancy purposes, he was he was really good and kind of paid off what I expected. So, all in all, uh, a pretty successful start to the new podcast. And now we're coming over to the American Express, which I think is going to be one of the more difficult ones that we probably preview 
uh, for a little while. And, and the main reason being there's three different golf courses uh, at PJ West and La Quinta. Um, you've got the stadium course, which is used for 36 holes, and then you've got La Quinta Country Club and the Nicholas Tournament course. Uh, La Quinta is generally speaking one it's the shortest and two it's generally the easiest is where you get the kind of lowest scores the 59s and things um but they're all easy right like patrick cantley shot 61 in the final round last year at the stadium course to kind of try and chase down siwoo kim so do you think i guess first of all this is probably more towards kind of showdown and things like that do you will you be targeting a specific golf course this week or do you think that you can just play them at any golf course as long as you get your guys because they're all generally pretty easy scoring. Yeah, I think, you know, although one, you know, La Quinta, I think is the lowest scoring average of them. The, the scoring average might be a little bit different, but that doesn't mean that that guy will necessarily go the lowest on that course. Like, right. you're still you're still going to see a 63 on in, on in all of the courses. So I, I, I'm not going to think too much about it because, you know, sometimes overanalysis leads to paralysis. Yep. And I, I think, you know, forget about where they start. Take the guys you want to take. And, and see how it goes. I'm not going to be overthinking the, the course rotation. No, absolutely not. And uh, they're all Bermuda greens. Um, you know, the, the stadium course, which is the main course, was designed by Pete Dye. Nicholas course, obviously Jack Nicholas, and the Kinsa was Lawrence Hughes. Um, all kind of just over or under 7,100 yards. Uh, can obviously play differently on the day. Uh, in terms of the approach to statistically, I guess it's pretty much the same as last week, although different tests themselves that the you know it's hot irons and hot putting um the approaches from 150 to 175 yards is something that is probably worth looking at if you wanted to look at a range um and then just uh, a couple of things that i think to bear in mind 13 of the last 14 winners had played one of the first two events of the year in hawaii uh, the only exception was bill huss who is uh well known for his exploits here multiple winner on this event so uh, it wasn't much of a surprise to see him win obviously a very good golfer at the time and i think also like the the, the pro-am experience and form of just you know maybe just playing with a pebble or you know other golf courses that require pro-ams because it's not everyone's cup of tea right and i think it kind of can work in in two ways some people really like the slow rounds shout out kevin nah uh, some people don't shout out taylor gooch right and i think that 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 can really throw people off and you know we see it at pebble beach just some people just can't get through it and maybe like on the flip side of that like adam hadwin's been electric here like since 2016 since the stadium course was in uh you know three top threes and then last year was his, his worst effort now was that because he was out of form or was it that the format was so different you dropped out the kids last year it was only the two courses uh you know no pro-am to speak of kind of throws you off a bit so i think there are a couple of things that really need to be uh to focus in on yeah i, I completely agree uh you know, the first question I guess we're to think about is what what you do at the top of these lineups. Yeah, exactly that. And I think, you know, in terms of course corollaries, how, you know, we, we spoke a little bit off air and obviously we've got things to say there, but it's, it's really hard to wait when you've got three courses to look at. You know, sometimes it's easy to draw comparisons between two golf courses. Uh, sometimes I think, a lot. I mean, a lot, there's a lot of guys out there that would say just don't do any correlations, just follow the numbers and anything any correlations you draw just them inform or them being the better players etc i've kind of gone with the crossovers of the waste management and the shriners as you know desert form similar times a year uh, end of the season for the shriners start a new season for phoenix 
you know, West Coast swing, etc. There's plenty of evidence to suggest that it, it's, a, it's a match right in Phoenix, especially Mickelson, Mark Wilson, Kerry Penny won both won both events. Jason Duffner won here in 2016 and lost in a playoff to Mark Wilson in 2011. Charlie Hoffman won here in 2007, lost in a playoff to Kenny Perry in Phoenix in 2009. There's been a whole host of guys that have been runners-up. Uh, Woodland won in Phoenix, runner-up here. So Adam Long even won here in 2018, finished eighth in Phoenix, but he was only three off the pace going into the final round. So for me, Phoenix was uh, was a really good, strong link. Shrine is very similar to that as well. And I just, I just, how much emphasis would you put on those things? And would you just use it as a tiebreaker situation, or would you actually focus in on those? I think t- I'm focusing on them actually. You know what? Because I think the the desert uh, and Bermuda kind of combination for waste management is definitely something that you know it's pretty unique. Yeah. So. And then you look at the the correlation on the leaderboards, and it it matches up almost perfectly. So I'm definitely using that comp. And uh, I didn't think of Shriners previously, but now that you say it, it makes sense too. So I I, I actually like using uh, comp courses, and um, it's definitely something I'm going to go with this week. You got to go you got to go with something, right? And there's not too much to go on with this type of event. So I think you kind of got to pick your lane and, and you know believe in it and see if it works. Yeah, I mean, look, it's always kind of served me pretty well. Sometimes, like you mentioned earlier, analysis and paralysis, it can... I have been guilty of kind of focusing in on, on two or three comp courses. If they don't fit that, they can't be picked, and I ignore someone's statistical fit, right? And and that's kind of dangerous. And the Shriners is a little bit weaker than the Phoenix Open because you're using guys like Phil Mickelson has won multiple times here and finished runner-up at uh, Shriners. Uh, Chad Campbell won here, playoff at Shriners, lost. Uh, Patrick Cantley run up at both events. So when you start using those three guys, it's kind of guys that have been here, there, and everywhere. But for me, like Adam Hadwin was was a really good example. Three top three finishes here, two top six finishes at the Shriners. You know, Adam Hadwin's a pretty inconsistent, inconsistent golfer, so you want to look where he's done well. Martin Laird's won the Shriners twice and finished second, multiple top 15s here. Austin Cook was runner-up at the Shriners and finished tied 14th here in 2018, but was actually the 54-hole leader. So really liked that. I thought that was a really good evidence for that. It was kind of like an, an Austin Cook and Adam Hadwin. You want to look at guys that you don't expect to win or play well and, and where they did it and how they did it. So that was the kind of place I went for me. Did you put any emphasis at all on the Pete Dye design links? Yes, I did, actually, because... Yeah. I, I made a, a little model, and if I, I do my stat preview for Action Network, and I just actually finished writing this before we started, and I used uh, Pete Dye rankings, and, um, you know, there's a lot of correlation that just, again, it's not really, you, you can't really ignore it. You got, so my rankings spit out, I got Answer first, who has a great success here. Then you got Cantlay, great success here. Harmon, Rose, Rahm, uh, Connors, M, Day, Streelman, Siwoo is your top ten. So, I mean, it's just glaringly obvious that that means something here yeah i mean again this is people will say don't use the players as an example because strong people win the players or contend the players and they'll contend here when they play right and that's true of some people but siwoo kim's won both events mickelson's won both events jonathan vegas has won here and finished third and seventh for the players that's not a guy who necessarily attributes a success at a, a really big tournament like the players tim clark won the players twice a runner up here uh, Matt Kuchar won the players finish, finish runner up here David Lingworth runner up at both events like that's mm-hmm. the kind of guy that I want to be 
looking for as a, as, a, as a pointer. You mentioned Abraham Anser, he was a runner-up here and at the Heritage. Um, so in terms of Pete Dye, it just kind of pushed over. So for me, like that was what I did. I kind of looked at people that really play well in desert. I think that's really important to have some sort of desert form somewhere. Um, even a bit of California form obviously kicks in, you know, part of this California... I don't know if it's... I don't know what you think, Matt. Is it is it a California like likeness or is it a and being comfortable on the West Coast or is it just the time of year because that's when the California swing happens? What do you think you would attribute to more? Yeah, it's a good question. I think it's probably a combination of both. You see a lot of the West Coast, you know, a lot of guys play play well like in, in Arizona and California. I think it's pretty similar in terms of climate and the way the grass grows and all that stuff. So I think it's just comfortability, comfortability with both of those things. I don't think it's one or the other. I think it's just probably a combination. Yeah, absolutely. Right, let's get let's get into it. So we've got four guys here at 10K and above. Uh, John Rahm's the betting favourite and, and the favourite in fantasy at 11,300. 11, uh, Patrick Cantlay, 10,900. Scotty Scheffler, 10,600. Tony Finau, 10,200. Um, can you play John Rahm this week? Yes. Yeah, I think you can. Um, I, I think I'll probably play him because it's just so it's his floor is so high. I like it's not going to be a situation where you're paying up for a Webb Simpson or even a Cameron Smith last week when you know the chances of them doing well is you know pretty good. But with Rom, it's just so difficult to envision him not playing well this week. He's coming off a second uh, at the at TOC, but his he's just been excellent here he obviously has you know got the got the win here and then the last two times he's played it right uh or six after that and he yeah he was through last was through last year i just think and he's great west coast you know he, he the one the tory pines just, him and on the west coast is is just his best and he's playing so well right now and even after the three and a half month break how well he how well he played in his first start it's just it's hard to envision it not going well playing him. Right, and, and that's the thing. When If you'd have asked me at the end of last year when he was kind of playing poorly on the then European tour, um, I'd have said, right, well, just fade him. You know, he's, he's too expensive. People are going to be on him because of his course history and, and you might as well just take your chances. He has an off week and doesn't really want to do it. Um, and then he comes out firing at the TOC when people were having those similar sort of conversations, right? I mean, I was very much fading him as a, as a betting uh, person didn't want to try and take him on a TOC, and that you know it kind of nearly, you know bit me. So I think you can. Like I think there's so many, you know as we're going to go down uh, the pricing later on, like there's so many guys that I like in the seven k and under range this week, unlike last week, that I think you really can. You can put him in, and you know, I you know as soon as you start putting John Rahm in, you, you start looking at the seven k's. But you know, I, I can put in two 8K range golfers with John Rahm and feel pretty comfortable about the uh, the lineups I'm building. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think this is an event, you know, you've seen Rahm obviously win, but besides that, you see a lot of long shots win. So if if you can, you know, the the best case scenario for somebody who is a longer shot winning this, it's likely to see it's one of them, but it's Rahm in the mix and see if Rahm's going to chase down one of these guys who hasn't, won too much or won it all on tour that's kind of what you envision happening if if rom doesn't win it's like he's five or six back and is he going to chase down one of the guys who's a six or seven thousand dollar golfer and 
you know, that's kind of the path to that being successful and, and paying off because, you know, you say with Rom, he, he needs the very high finish to pay off his pricing, which is true, but it, it, it's much less true if the guy who wins, not many people are owning. Yeah. You know, so if he co- comes in third, but the winner is 1% owned and he's 6,800, then it, it, you need Rom in your lineup. Yeah, that no, makes total sense because, like you say, you're, you're almost just fading him for the sake of fading him, and then you don't, you have nothing else to do, and you're not really gaining for fading him. In terms of then, uh, Patrick Cantlay at ten thousand nine hundred, is that is that somewhere that you do think that you can avoid? I think you have to, you have to make a decision on someone up here. I mean, the obvious choice for me would be to to leave out Scheffler, but I do think that he has this massive upside that this could be. It's been somewhere that first time winners have succeeded in the past. Uh, he's now got Ted Scott on the bad. He played pretty well at the Hero when he was chasing down uh, Victor Hovland. And whilst everyone else was faltering, he shot 66 there. So I do think there's a case to be made for Scheffler, but I don't feel comfortable going away from Rahman Cantley to and taking him as my starter. I I couldn't agree more with that. I Scheffler, he did have the third here, and then he missed the cut the following yeah. year. So it's a little hit or miss. And I'm not the biggest Scheffler guy. I do think he is usually overpriced in the betting and DraftKings market um i'd like to see him actually do it first if you want to pay pay that price for somebody i want to make sure that they can win and i don't know if he can right now i believe it it's almost i believe it when i see it with him and i don't know how you can go to him when you have rom or cantley who might you know i hate to say it because it never turns out the way but they might both be guaranteed top tens this week yeah uh, uh i i would be shocked if if they weren't so I think you you have to go with one of the other guys because, as you alluded to already, there's going to be so many ways to be unique this week. And I don't think going from Rom or Cantley to Scheffler is the way you, that the most ideal way to be unique. Right, and and that and I completely agree with that. It was kind of that is a better way of saying what I was trying to to mumble out. And uh, <laughs> you know, t- Tony Finau's there at ten thousand two hundred as well. And the questions that people have had over Scheffler, people have had over Tony Finau his whole career, and except he has got the wins right. And as much as they're more spread out than the talent level suggests they should be um he's done it so you don't have question marks over whether he can when he won a fedex cup playoff event against cameron smith who's in very good form um maybe a little bit fortunate that week but did it um he was one of the 54 hole leaders here last year um so yeah i, I think that you can go to tony Fino as well going into the 9k range then and i think this is where you know it, like I think there's some decisions to be made here. I, I'm gonna, I'm potentially gonna go away from Taylor Gooch this week, and it, it feels bold because he has finished fourth here in the past, um, and the 17th to 21st. He's four out of four made cuts, so everything kind of suggests that Taylor Gooch can keep going. But I just, I still think we're paying too. You mentioned it last week. We're kind of paying a lot for him and the name value that people are attributing to him. And I just think I've got someone like a Matthew Wolf that I think is a lot more upside than Taylor Gooch. I think he's got more winning upside than Taylor Gooch has. I think I'd like the discount of the $400. Um, I would probably rather pay up for Sung Jae-in than take Taylor Gooch, just because I think at some point, and I think we might have seen it at the start of last week, there's going to be some sort of fragility in Taylor Gooch that is going to have to come to an end at some point, and maybe just getting burnt out last week whether it was playing with Kevin Nile which is the assumption everyone makes or not he did kind of slow down and burn out last week 
Yeah, I'm the, I'm the president of the Fade Taylor Gooch Club, so <laughs> um, I I'm I was never considering playing him. Looking at the way way too early ownership projections, he's looking like he's third behind Robin Cantlay. Um, people love playing Gooch. I don't know what what it is. I, I it's the ball striker, which obviously has gone well here in the past for a lot of different players, but yeah, you're paying twice for him because you're paying 9,700, which I'm not paying for Taylor Gooch anyway. And then, and you're going to be paying an ownership. He's going to be, he's going to be up there, and I'm just not interested in playing him. Like you said, Wolf was the first guy who jumped out to me this week, and the only thing stopping me from betting him was that the 12 of the past 13 winners have played in one in the first two weeks. Yeah. So uh, that's one thing that I'm a little unsure of, but I would much rather play him than Gucci for the upside that you get for the winning upside, and less ownership. It's going to be. And yeah, I'm I'm out on Gooch. After Gooch in the nine nine Ks, looks like uh, Connor's an answer. I'm going to come in very highly owned too. Yeah, and to be honest, again, I think I could probably go away from certainly Connor's. I think I think it, I would I would definitely want to play some Sung Jae. I mean, he's tenth, twelfth, uh, and twelfth here uh, in three starts. Really impressive. Obviously in great form. You know what you're kind of getting with Sung Jae. I think uh, I love Seamus Power. I'm betting him betting him again this week. Um, you know, he's been 11th and 21st here on uh, two visits, and he shot a final round 17 in 2018 when he had the chance to kind of chase down uh, Landry and Ram. There's only four shots adrift of those. And just the form that he's in, and I mentioned to you before we came on, he did a podcast with uh, uh, Fit for Golf, and it was back in December. I just got around to listen to it. And he just... I don't know all the technical details because I need to listen back to it to, to kind of repeat it without just paraphrasing. But he basically said that he he thought he had a problem in his swing that he had identified and he was working on for ages. And then when he switched from a trap man to a GC quad and just actually just kind of watched his ball, he realised he was completely misunderstanding the problem he had. And all of a sudden, he's really, really good. So is it a case of this was always his potential upside? And he kind of wasted it, losing swing changes and, and things like that, which can happen. Um, because all of a sudden, he's kind of top 50 in the world, looking at a Masters invite, if he can hang on. You know, two, what's he got? Two more uh, top fours, three more top 15s this season already. Already guaranteed a spot in the FedEx Cup playoffs. That takes some pressure off. Um, already in the top 15 in the world. He's not totally chasing that. He's just got to stay there. To me, this this kind of sets up really well for Seamus Power. Yeah. I agree with you. I think I didn't see the see the interview, but based on what you said, it seems like that this, you know, if that's true, which I don't know why it, it wouldn't be. Yeah. Um, it seems like he is in that top 50 type guy, and he's probably going to stay there for a while. And if you look at his results, I mean, the the numbers don't really lie. I mean, his his strokes gain metrics are excellent. His finishes have been good. He had a hot stretch, and now he's still playing well. So I think all thing all signs point to to that being the truth. He's probably a top 50 guy for sure. Yeah, you know, there's probably also an element of, like, when the player gets there, they're like, oh, yeah, well, I was always meant to be here, and that's just it. And that they kind of have to tell themselves that because, you know, that's how you stay good in this kind of game. So uh, do I expect him to always be a top 50 player in the world for the rest of his career? Probably not. But for the time being, I just I don't need to kind of... He's not someone I expect to suddenly just go off the boil. I, I think that this is generally the, the level that he can play at. So I'm going to stick with him. In terms of Corey Connors... Um, he's not done it here, right? You know, he didn't play in the last two years. He missed the cut back in 2019. 
uh, didn't shoot anything lower than a 69 that week and then the the year before that he was 50th and the best round he shot was a 68 that's just not going to get it done here um, is he a better golfer than he, he has been over both those appearances yes is is that a reason to bet him or pick him in the DraftKings pool I don't think so because I think that everything we thought was going to happen to Corey Connors last week happened I think the scoring got away from him. He couldn't quite make the putts that he needed to make, despite the fact he played okay. Um, and I think that would be the case here as well. Like Getting to, to 20 under par and over, um, when you're not renowned for your putting exploits, is uh, is pretty difficult to do. Yeah, I agree. I'm, I'm all set with Connors. I don't, same reasons I didn't want to uh, play him last week. I don't want to play him this week. It's not, the, not where I want to play him. I mean, maybe a memorial or something where it's you can win it 13 14 15 under and the in the iron game can take you take you home but you got to make putts this week and you got to get to 24 under probably so that's just not the place for him not to mention the like you said the course history isn't good he hasn't really had any desert success whatsoever i don't really consider him to be a west coast guy uh and you get abraham answer right beneath him who does all those things you know he has the west coast success he has the success at this course uh, he can get hot with a putter. I can see him winning a birdie fest. So I'd rather just play him. Yeah, and look, I think like you said there, like Corey Connors is of that ilk where he's a typical ball striker that he's, although you need to have a really good iron week and passing week this week, being a, a long-term consistent ball striker kind of gets negated here in a little bit, and that sounds stupid, but like that they succeed at these kind of tougher tighter golf courses where fairways mean something where hitting greens mean something like everyone's gonna hit fairways or if they get in a rough it's very you know it's not penal they're gonna hit greens they're gonna make melodies like everyone's gonna do it so you're not differentiating in terms of abraham answer is this a get right spot for him um and by that i mean you know he's, he's he was 35th at the tournament of champions out of uh, was it 39 players 38 players that week um and then he missed the cut in the sony last week which neither result particularly surprised me like he hadn't had good course history at hawaii uh at the sony open he the the tournament champions was a big wide layout that doesn't really suit him much like it didn't really suit connor's and type of things that you know their ball striking doesn't suit um it's, it's more about the guys that can just drive it best and score best and when you look at his last four results miscut 35th 14th for the hero world challenge looks good but it's out of 20 people and tied 27th at the DP World Tour Championship is halfway down the field as well. So there has actually been a steady decline in form. You know, he missed the first cut of the Shriners. 14th at the CJ Cup and 7th at Mike Over was good. And then just been poor for four weeks as well. Do you think that then he's going to come back here? You mentioned that he's really high on ownership. And I was kind of hoping that that would kind of go off him a little bit because of how badly he's been playing. But... I guess the course history of 18th, 2nd, and 5th just kind of takes that away. Yeah. It'll be high, but I think Connors will still be higher. So And, and $200 cheap, cheaper is the answer. So I'd still rather go to answer than, than him. And I do think he'll probably have a, a bounce-back week. I don't think he's... You know, a lot of people were elevating him to this status to where he was like a top 15, 20 player, regardless of where he went. I don't think that's him, but I do think there are places on the schedule that suit him very well. And this is going to be one of them. I mean, like you said, I wasn't surprised about the Sony result. Um, and it's not like something's, you know, drastically wrong with this game. He, he gained strokes slightly on approach last week. He, he, gained, a, he gained a shot on approach. Uh, he lost two and a half putting. So I'm not, you know, I'm not too concerned with where his game's at. Um, 
and I think he can. This is a place he can definitely win and, and play well. I mean, look, the course history is you, you can't ignore it. Second and fifth, yeah. Before after, after the 18th, so I, yeah, I'm, I think you got to go to him. Yeah, and I think also you mentioned, or we mentioned the, the Pete Dye, obviously second at the Heritage uh, mm-hmm. in 2020. Uh, where else? He's played the Travelers, who finished fourth last year. Shriners finished fourth in 2020 and uh and 2018 as well so generally speaking not only has he played those desert courses well he's played pete die well uh great combination in terms of his course history here as well so i will be going back to the well with abraham answer any more that you wanted to to, to talk about in a 9k range obviously got wills Taurus and russell henny there i didn't know if you had an opinion on either of those guys yeah i mean if you want we've talked a little bit about being contrarian before i i imagine i don't know i i would imagine that Henley would be a bit contrarian because who's going to go click that button after what he did last yeah. week? Um, and I know you're not playing him to win, so it's not like betting him is a little bit different. You might still get him in the drafting lineups, but I could see him being kind of a contrarian play to the answer. Um, and like you said, with Seamus Power, his price is so high that I think that could take some ownership off him too. Ninety five hundred for him. I don't like. I don't think I could pay that. I know you're really, really high on him. Yeah. Um, and then the other guy I wanted to talk was Patrick Reed. Where is he priced? He was, I think he's 8,800. Okay, we'll talk about him next then, I guess. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm probably going to avoid the 9K range mostly altogether I've, because if I'm playing either Rahm or Cantlay, and, and uh, if that's the case, I might kind of dip to the 8s. But, yeah, if I, if I had to play a guy of the 9s, I think it would be... I answer yeah that's a, pretty much the only guy i'm interested in that range yeah no, i like that again like uh you know matthew wolf would be the guy that i think looks good value but like i said about siwoo kim last week like he's just so volatile that kind of he's great to bet on at kind of 30 to 1 and longer but in a in a fancy format where you need him to get through the cut it's kind of anything can happen and it's a bit concerning um let's drop down into the 8k range then so it starts with uh cameron tringali at 8900 uh, and ends with Luke List and Charles Howe, 8,000 flat. Um, anything to say on Cameron Tringali before coming to Patrick Reed? Yeah, if you're playing Cameron Tringali right now at 8,900, then you need to just hang it up. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I was kind of this guy that, that was trying to see the good in Cameron Tringali, and, and I was really impressed with what he'd done over the last couple of years, and I think that give up on people too quickly but when you start paying nearly 9k for him on a course he's never been that great on you know he's he's makes the cut four out of the last six times top 14 finish but generally speaking miss cut miss cut 51st 43rd 56th like i don't need to go to cameron tringali like if i can't find someone to outperform cameron tringali in the 8k range then uh like you say we probably need to do something else but uh let's go on to patrick reed then yeah, and I'll, I'll just say quickly too the Tringali thing. People get get hot and cold these type of these type of golfers. It's almost with, with the Gooch thing we talked about, but the Tringali example is even worse. I mean, he's 34 years old. Um, he's never shown that he is capable of winning. When he got in the mix a couple times last year, he choked choked it away pretty bad and just wasn't good down the stretch. So, I, I have a you know a problem with the Tringali love. It seems like it's just mostly prisoner of the moment type stuff, but. Patrick Reed, um, I, I'm sure he's gonna, you're going to see him in a lot of betting cards this week, yeah. Um, because everyone says you know, 30 to one, he wins a lot. If you get a chance to bet him at over 30 to one, you do it. I'm going to be fading him as well. Okay. Uh, I, 
I don't love I don't love the fit. I don't love the course fit for him. Um, yeah, I, what do you think about him? He's always he's tough. He's an enigma. Well, this was so he won here right in 2014, um, back when it was the Humana Challenge, because um, mm-hmm. I was on him that week. He shot 28 under, which I think, apart from the guys that played five rounds, that was the record. Uh, one by two strokes. But that is so out of character for Patrick Reed and and his style mm-hmm. of play, right? Like I know he shot 21 under at the Tournament of Champions, but generally speaking, when you look at his victories, 14 at the Wyndham, 4 under at the Cadillac uh, Championship, 9 under Barclays, the Masters is what the Masters is, uh, another WGC 18 under, 14 under Tory Pines, like that. The kind of sub-20 to uh, 20 under sort of scoring is kind of what he does. So I can see... I can see why you would want to fade him, and, and and I think it is the right decision. The only thing that slightly concerns me is that when it looked like, because a lot of people went to him for the TOC, right, and people expected him to go well, and he was, like you said, just kind of those long betting odds in the small field, let's go and take him, and he finished tied 15th, even after shooting a 74 in the opening round, and I just wonder if that, you know, there was a third at the hero, and then 15th there, with that, you know, with that poor first round, that I think he could do something, but it... <laughs> Again, I don't think I need to pay up for him. I think he's a guy that, like you say, is probably just better to bet on. Like someone like him, someone like Wolf. Um, I'm just going to take them, take them on betting cards if I really like them. I haven't gone with Reed this week in any format. Uh, I don't plan to. But uh, yeah, I could, I could see why people would play him, and I think it's a good play. I don't know if you've got the ownership in front of you for him, but is that, is that some, is that an ownership play that you could do, Patrick Reed? Yeah, I think it is ownership play. I mean, and uh, and then when I said the course fit uh, for. The last four years, he's played it twice, missed the cut both times. Yeah, and you just think, like you said, the birdie, the birdie fest is just, it's so hard for me to see him making that many birdies. But in terms of ownership, he will be lower owned this week. Yeah, for sure. I'm I'm saying like six percent right now at 8800 because, yeah, and it it definitely is an ownership pivot. I mean, if you started with him and Wolf, you have two guys yeah. with legitimate win upside, and you got your a bunch of leverage on the field. So I don't I don't hate that strategy. Well, I think I think the thing is like we we've started the show and we're going to carry on the show by saying there's all these kind of long shots because anyone can win this tournament, right? And if you say that about basically anyone can win this tournament, then Patrick Reed has to be in the conversation. It's just that when you're when you think about Patrick Reed, you think about you having to pay up, and you know you 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 basically have to believe, I think in my head that anyone in the kind of upper eights and and above has to be your guy that's going to win. Like you you possibly are starting your team with them, so. Um, that that would kind of put me off, but if I if I can if I can get him in there while still playing one of the top guys and different you know somewhere else, then maybe I'll put him in. Cupid may work hard in February, but our friends at Manscaped are working harder than ever to ensure that your Valentine's Day is one to remember. Don't turn this day of romance into Independence Day this year, and get in control with their Performance Package 4.0, which includes a signature lawnmower. This February, join 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with our exclusive offer of 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code LFW20. That is LFW20 on the Lost for Words podcast. Contrary to popular belief, love is not blind when you can't see past the love jungle. Folks, we know how important it is to have clean, fresh golf balls, but it is also your balls that we must prioritise on Valentine's Day. And the Performance Package 4.0 will leave you with more dating app notifications than Cupid has arrows. This lovely bundle comes equipped with the best tools needed when freshening up for a night on the town and a date night with your young lady. 
So once again, that is code LFW20 for 20% off and free worldwide shipping on manscaped.com. Fellas, look after your balls both on and off the golf course in February. Same kind of logic applies to Bizween now. Like liked him last week because it was kind of a tricky course that he could have made putts on, um, but it was shorter and you know his driver was negated here. But I think now that people can go bombs away, they can. I know there's a few water hazards and you know that there is a bit more trouble than people give credit for. But generally speaking, I think off the tee is going to help here, putting it in the fairway, driving it long. You know, and it's just going to be such a birdie fest. I think the scoring will get away from him. So I do think I would look elsewhere for Bizween now this week, but. Justin Rose was a guy for me that kind of has popped. Like, he is just someone that I think people think he's done. And maybe I'm misgaging how people receive him, but I think people generally think that the best is way behind him. And, and I think world number one is behind him. Like, I don't think he's going to get to there again, of course. But it was this time last year or, or just after that he was playing in Saudi. And he was like 66 to 1, 70 to 1 in that kind of field on European tour. And I was like, this is bizarre. Like he was playing okay. He played well in that event before. He played well in the Middle East in general. And I was like, I'm just, gonna, I'm just going to play him. He played really well here. And uh, he was third on his golf course back when it was a five-round event. But he shot a 76 on the final day to lose by one. He had a top 10 before that. And whilst his most recent visit wasn't great, he's had four top 12s in his last six starts on tour. Uh, tied ninth for the Hero, tied 12th for the RSM. I really like Dustin Rose at uh, 8600. I do too. I uh, that's probably the first bet I'm going to make this week. I, I saw a 55 to one on on him, and um, I love I like it a lot. He's the guy, and he's one of the ones you know, almost like Reed. I I prefer him in a uh, kind of grind it out type event. But right. if you, if you look at some of his wins, he's done it before. Um, he's won some birdie fest before, and he has some good wet. My only concern too, not what my other concern with him is the course. It, he hasn't played here much. I don't know why. I think I um, think it would be a lot to do with just playing out on the European Tour in, in some of those stronger events. Bit of just having a bit of rest and recovery, I guess, from a from a busy end of year. I, I don't know. You know, it's, it's, it is tough, and you wonder what the motivation is to play this week versus years he hasn't. So you, you do start to wonder what it is. But I think those are the sort of questions that keep people off of him. And it's really funny because I look at kind of batch him and Adam Scott together as a golfer, right? They're both brilliant ball strikes on their day. Both have world number one upside on their day. And they're both kind of like the 50, 60 to 1 in their respective tournaments. Like Adam Scott is 55 or 60 to 1 um, over on the DP World Tour this week. Like, wow, double them up. You know, I think I think Scott's got some steam and he's gone down to 45 or 50. But if you can get 50 to 1 on both of those guys, I think it's worth... Uh, you know, at least top, doubling up the top five or whatever you want to do. So that's a, that's a completely different show, obviously. This is for fantasy aspects. But, uh, yeah, I, I kind of like the play. that I think there's not many people in this kind of 8K and, and upper sevens that have been world number one, have that upside to kind of still probably contend at major championships. And uh, like I said earlier, he's played here back, well, it's a long time ago now, but he has done it back in the past. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm, I'm playing Rose. I, I... I'm betting him. I'm playing him. Um, do I think he's going to win this thing at 2,500? I don't know. I just think the number is again. You get the guys like Gooch, who's 30 to one, and then you get Justin Rose, who's 55, 60 to one. So, I'd I'd I'm betting Justin Rose at 60 over a guy like Gooch at 30 every day of the week. Yep. And I think in terms of getting leverage, and he's going to be pretty low owned because he's 8,600, not cheap. And you get the guys who everyone loves playing, and Rose isn't one of them. Uh, he's never incredibly popular. 
but I think maybe the reason he is playing is because he wants to, you know, not make one last run of it, but he's, what, 41? He still has time where where he can establish himself on the PGA Tour again. He seems motivated this year. He's was playing really well towards the end of last year. I think he has one la- last stretch of a couple of years of good golf left, and I think he's trying to make a statement this year. And I did, a, I think, a preview show, and he was one of my guys to buy low on. So I'm going to buy low on him early in the season. Well, I think I think everything you say there is right, right? You know, we we kind of spoke in a similar sort of vein about Matt Cooch last week, didn't we? He had this kind of like one last run at being a really good golfer, and and Rose is another level even beyond that because when you look at last year, like he was seventh at the Masters, eighth at the PGA. Um, you know, he wasn't great at the Open Championship and missed a cut of the US Open, but two really big events he played well in. Sixth back at Wentworth where he plays well. Tenth when he had to play well at Wyndham. Uh, still didn't quite get in because of a Chesson Hadley's hole in one. But, uh, you know, just generally speaking, when his back was up against the wall or where he was expected to play in big events, he did it. And I think it's just, he's been so used of having the luxury of playing like a limited schedule that he has done, even over the past couple of years when he's not been great. And now, like you say, he's probably a bit more motivated. He's 47th in the world. Like, he's almost head-to-head with Seamus Power in the world rankings. Like, maybe, not disrespecting Seamus Power, but maybe that's just kind of like a, okay, this is where I'm at in the world rankings right now, as opposed to what I should be. And uh, I do think it's one of those things that you can just click it off early and uh, get back on the straight and narrow. So, interesting to see what happens there. What do you think of Ricky Fowler this week in terms of popularity? Do you think people are going to want to play him? Uh, I think it's tough because you always get the people who like playing him all the time. He he always is higher owned than he should be. and So I think he will be higher owned than he should be this week. But does that mean he's going to be high owned? No, probably not. No. Um, I'm, I'm sure he'll probably be in the 10% range. But with how he's playing and his price, I don't think he should even be that there he should be kind of being overlooked and he, and he isn't going to be um so that, that's kind of where i stand on him i, uh, I don't know people are going to keep want to giving want to give him chances this place makes some sense for him um i don't have the course history in front of me but we talked about the players correlation uh so he makes some sense he's he played a little bit better he he, he had that third at the cj cup and uh was okay at zozo and mayakoba so I don't know. What do you th- what do you think of him? Well, this was the thing, right? So you, you reference that CJ Cup, and he had that run where he finished third, didn't he? But he was he was poor when it came down to the final day. He shot a seventy one as opposed to Rory McIlroy's sixty six and, and Colin Morikawa's sixty two. So that kind of tells you everything you needed to know about how his kind of swing is holding up under pressure, which is which is unlike him, right? Like he was he was pretty good in contention. I know he didn't win in, in majors, but was clicking off tournaments pretty well. Won the Players Championship. When you look at his last two visits here, he was 10th uh, in 2020. He was leading after 36 holes, third after 54, and then just 70-71 over the weekend, just wasn't going to get it done. And then he followed up with a 21st last year after starting with a 73 on day one. So he put himself behind the eight ball, really. Ricky Fowler is someone that I want to see succeed. And I think that's, as you mentioned there, why people play him, because they just want it to happen for him. Um, From a completely objectional point of view i'm not going to play like i just i don't need to play him at 8500 it's going to be hard to put him in and put the top guys in and there's other guys i'm actually more confident in uh in the 7 and 8k range that i would go to so look at those kind of guys jonathan vegas kind of piqued my interest at 8100 um you know the, the, the course history isn't great 
he had an 11th here kind of three or four years ago. But he just seems to be striking the ball well. Tee to green, he looks pretty solid um, and has just had some decent results. 12th for the RSM, 26th for the Houston Open, 14th for the CJ Cup, 15th for the tail end of the season at the Wyndham. So I do think he's a guy that can kind of flash on this kind of golf course at any time. Like I think he's the type of person that can just go and shoot a 63 when you least expect it. And I think there's a type of guys that play well here. Yeah, I, I looked at him too. I thought he was going to be maybe lower price, I was hoping. Um, I thought he might be go overlooked when they're, when the pricing. But, I, I yeah, he has, the, he has the, the, the calm courses. He just had a great finish at the players recently. Um, I agree with you. But for me, it comes down to him or or probably Ortiz. And I really like Ortiz a lot too. So uh, I love I love Carlos Ortiz. Like, week to week, I think he's great. I think he's always been undervalued because there's always been the shadow of, of Abraham answer in terms of Mexican golfers and he it's just never been that guy that kind of gets the credit until he beat DJ right at the Houston Open then people kind of caught on to him and he said he was great but in terms of course comps like he was fourth at the Phoenix Open last year I think it was um, you know that's that's a, a nice thing to see in his uh, OWGR is there still a slight issue with his injury because he pulled out after the Mayakoba didn't he yeah, with the shoulder. Yeah, yeah. I don't, that, that's the question. That is a question. I don't know if that will limit ownership on him, but um, I think even knowing that, I think I'd still probably rather play him than Vegas, just because I don't know if Vegas can win. And I, I've, I've, I don't, I don't remember the event, but I think I was on Vegas at seventy to one. A lot of people were, I think, and he was like in the lead on the on the turn. Um, what was it when Ch- Champ won? It could have been the three M. Yeah. yeah, I think it was a 3M. And um, and it was just like I never once really truly believed he was going to win. And I think with Ortiz, I could see him in contention. I've, I've, I have a lot more faith in him if he does get in contention than, than Vegas. I think I think it's just here I see I see him as a safer pit than Ortiz just because of the, the doubts over the injuries. Slightly better course form and course fit, maybe. Um, and just... You know, I don't need him to win as much as like I just it contradicts what I just said in terms of the eight K range. You want guys that can that can win at this lower end. He's had a, what three seconds last season, I think it was. Um, you know, if he gets in the kind of top five for me, I'm gonna be pretty happy. Yeah, all all very fair. Um, that's a good. It's a good one. I like both those guys. Yeah, I think I think they're both worth looking at. What about Luke List? Um, He's a guy I'm very, very bullish on uh, long term. I think that if, if you asked me to pick someone that was going to be like a, a Jason Kokrak type breakout, um, that would be who I'd put up. You know, he's exactly the same age as Jason Kokrak, so that probably has something to do with it. Maybe doesn't have the quite the same ceiling, but I think the the floor because of the the skill set that he has, like the teaser green is excellent. Um, he's been he leads teaser green over the last 15 weeks according to uh, to the site that I use. Uh, on tour tips he's 11th in strokes gain approach in that time as well he's fifth on tour in strokes gain off the tee and no one above him has played any more than he has um he was sixth here back in 2016 he's been 10th at tory pines obviously another california start obviously a completely different test but has that heritage form back in 2018 where he missed a playoff by one just a lot of stuff that i really really like about loot list and i still think people don't truly believe in him because I think people like a Russell Henley like uh, you know Vegas like you just said there that people have just been burnt by him in the past getting excited about his chances that 
they don't think he can win and maybe hoped he was going to be in the 7k range yeah count me among those who uh who aren't fans of him because <laughs> it's not because I've, I've been on before and he, he didn't do well i just made a decision at some point where i said i'm just never going to play luke list and eight out of ten times it's probably going to work out in my favor yeah and because he's a lot of, especially when he's popular is when you usually lets down people the most it seems like um and i expect him to be popular as of now again very early he looks like the highest in the entire 8ks and he's at 8k flat and um he right now he's looking like the sixth highest guy uh overall behind rom can't like gooch connor's answer so people are thinking that way and it makes sense like you said it has a lot of the comp course history he's been really good the past uh you know three or four months he's been playing really well but i don't i just can't get there with him i don't I can't do it. I think I think he's another one. <laughs> I think he's another one that I prefer on my betting card because if it, if it happens at eighty to one or whatever he is now, um, you're really happy for him. If he doesn't and he pays off the each way, then great. Um, whereas in fantasy, if he's going to be that highly owned, and it makes sense why he's highly owned, right? Like he's been seventeenth, seventh, eleventh, and tenth in four of his last six starts. Go back to later on last season, he was fourth and fifth at John Deere and the Barbasol. So it's been really long term form and. And I do think the breakout's coming, but like you say, if he's going to be that popular in terms of ownership, I can can quite easily pivot off into him. And I think that you know that's where you could look at Vegas and Ortiz. It's, it's not that difficult to think that they can do. I think they all have pretty similar winning upside, um, which sounds strange considering List is the tri- one of the trailers that hasn't. But uh, I do think long term he could do that. But um, let's go into he's, the yeah, he's lo- go. real quick. He's lost. He's lost strokes putting in ten of his last eleven. Um, Houston, he finished 11th and lost 5.8 strokes putting, which he just he's not going to make the putts he needs to make. That's just my contention. Yeah, I mean, look, if everything I've said about Corey Connors at the top, everything I've said about you know, well, whoever else I've said that about, like he's probably not going to make the putts. He might do what I want him to do and finish in the top five uh, and pay off my each way. Um, but uh, yeah, probably not going to make the putts to win. Going down into the 7K range, it starts off with uh, Brian Harmon and Adam Hadwin. Uh, I can tell you which one's going to be the most popular out of those two. It's going to be Adam Hadwin. Um, what do you do with a guy like Adam Hadwin? Do you play him and, and eat the chalk because he is so safe here? Or do you try and leave him out in the hope that that's a really smart move for you? <sighs> this is one of the tougher decisions of the week, I think, for anybody. It's just... The course history is so good; it's almost impossible, pretty much impossible to ignore. But, mm. but then you look at Triners too. He was sixth at Triners last year. You talked about that. Yeah. Uh, I probably will play him. I think I'm going to play him. I think he's going to be popular, but I don't think he's going to be incredibly popular. He was even 29th at the Players last year. Um, 32nd here. So, it, I think he's another guy who kind of has a higher floor for 7,900. I think. You know, I'm not wor- too worried about him missing the cut here because he's very, it's right, you know, close to home. It's kind of, he, he, it's a great spot for him. Um, and he's going to be popular, but I don't think he's going to be top 10 in ownership. He's probably going to be between 12 and 15. I, I can probably see him finishing at 15, 16%. So that's not really debilitating. Um, I'll probably play him. Do you think there's a case that people, everyone's going to say he's going to be highly owned, they're going to try and avoid him, and, th- and then all of a sudden the ownership drops him because people are, galaxy braining it and, and trying to avoid him do you think that's a case for that yes i do i think that's 
it, it might be even a perfect example of that of one of those situations where that might happen i could see it for sure cameron tramp at 7800 um, you know, likes playing in California as a California uh, guy in general. Twenty first here on debut. Looks like a, you know you talk about the Matthew Walks, you talk about the people of that skill set. He has that in abundance. Very very volatile. Scares the, the life out of me in, in this format. But is that a good thing at seventy eight hundred? Yeah, he's a he's a guy. I'm probably gonna. I talked about betting today already. I and he, he won in Napa, right? It's kind of a. Yeah. Um, similar spot and i think yeah winning upside yeah i like him a lot this week i think he could you know is a little bit concerning we haven't seen him and then he didn't play because at the toc because of covid so definitely some questions and even without that there's questions on him Um, but he's a high you know volatile high upside player who he's gonna win once every year and a half yeah and that's a lot more more than you can say about pretty much anybody um and and 8000 and and below so and then if you get him on that week and you get a lower owned pretty cheap champ and you get rom on your team a, a lot of good things could happen if you play him and he goes well yeah absolutely first at the travelers second at the waste management fourth at the waste management um do you know who I'm talking about there when I read out those results first at the travelers Ches Ches Reevy so yeah, yeah. he he has those results there that you know he lost that playoff to Gary Woodland at the the Phoenix Open in 2018, and he was in he was a good good run of form at the time, won that Travelers Championship in 2019, uh, beat Keegan Bradley, Zach Zuka, Vaughn Taylor. So not you know not amazing, but there was obviously the likes of Wacky Neiman, Bryson DeChambeau, Abraham Anser further down the leaderboard. Played well at Pebble, which I like because of the format there I mentioned before. He, it's really hard to know. Again, I think Ches Reeve is like that safe guy that you think is just going to play nicely tee to green, give you some chances, probably not going to make the putts it needs to win, but gives you a pretty high floor um, at this range. Yeah, I, I agree. I think he was probably going to be pretty popular last week before he withdrew. Yeah. Uh, I saw a lot of people talking about that, but... He missed the cut at Shriners last year, and he also missed the cut here. Correct. Right. So you'd you'd think of him as a West Coast guy, and he didn't seem like his he played very well on the West Coast last year. So I'm a little concerned about that. Um, although the Fortinet he played you know he played pretty well. So it's a similar similar area, but he uh, it's it's tough it's it's tough with him because. You know he's going to play well with the irons, but he's going to lose strokes putting. He's probably going to lose strokes putting in almost every event that he plays. Um, yeah, I, I probably won't play him this week, but I want to see it from him first because he typically, in years past, this would be a great spot. I would like to play him, but it seems like something's been off with him lately, and he's not kind of playing it well at the courses you expect him to play well at. No, I agree. And you've got Gary Woodland, the same price we mentioned, beat him in that thing. That a lot of people seem to think there's going to be a resurgence from Gary Woodland this year. I, I can certainly get on board with that. I think a lot of it was just injury as opposed to a loss of form. Is there is there a case that you can make to play Gary Woodland this week? Um, there's definitely a case you can make. I think a lot of people will probably be making that case, and I, I I imagine we're going to see him on a lot of betting cards this week too. Yeah. Um, I'm I think I'm out on Gary for now. It's just, Every time he starts to show something, the very next event he's terrible, and 
and I know the physical, the injury thing, but something about him looked off last year. It's like, I don't he almost looked like, like sickly almost like he was losing, losing a bunch of weight. And yeah. then I don't know, I don't know what it was with him, but it just, he just seems so, so off. And then, you know, he goes to CJ cup and he finishes in ninth and you think, all right, he's going to start playing pretty well. Then he misses his next two cuts, uh, loses three strokes on approach. It's every time he shows you something, 11 to the 3M goes and misses the cut at Wyndham um, and plays poorly again. 14th at Charles Schwab last year, misses the cut at Memorial, a place where you think maybe he might go well. I I just don't trust him. Yeah, and I think I think the thing is as well, is like you say, he lost all that the all those numbers on the strokes again approach. Like if he was hitting the ball well and just passing badly, that's Gary Woodland, right? And you wouldn't you wouldn't be too concerned. But when when he doesn't look at his best, um, you know, he he followed up a CJ count, like you said, really poorly, hasn't played since. There is there's question marks. Like if Wood, if Gary Woodland goes and wins, then I'll just chalk it up as the fact that it happened and he was always capable of doing it, but I just wasn't off. Like I don't I'm not gonna be like, Oh man, I should have been on Gary Woodland. Um my concern in this range is that I've probably identified two of the most popular guys, and, and you can confirm that for me. Uh, Michael Thompson being the first. Um, mm-hmm. He was fifth and ninth in two of his last three visits here. Uh, played really well last week, obviously. Um, you know, finished tied, tied fifth at the Sony. And uh, just, you know, when you look at he was second at the US Open in California, won a birdie fest at the 3M back in 2020. Really positive signs. Third in approach last week. Sip tee to green. Just everything. Like, everything kind of points to a really good thing. Two top tens at the Heritage. T15 in Mexico before Christmas. Like, as much as the, the results haven't been, you know, massive, that there's been some really steady bunch of form this season. I'm guessing Michael Thompson will be fairly popular in this range. I, I'm I'm with you on Thompson. I'm, I think I'm going to bet Thompson. Um, yeah. And he... Look to be fairly popular, but nothing crazy. Probably top eighteen, top twenty yeah. um, at seventy five hundred. I have I have no problem pulling the trigger on that. Uh, looked good last week, and I think early in these the season, and you get these guys who, you know, the guys who the Michael Thompsons of the world, the the Strakas, the Hoagies, those types of guys. Um, and, not, and not that Michael Thompson, you know, I know he's one, and um, you know, so I'm not saying he's he's exactly that, but. They they tend to get on little runs yeah. and stay hot for a couple of months for you know for three four five six weeks and I, I think he's the type of guy and look how he did it last week with a six and a half on approach that's exactly what you want to see um, and he's the type of guy who has the iron game to win here and he can get a hot putter too he's a pretty good putter um, uh, puts puts well on Bermuda very well he puts very well on Bermuda um, he's you know you look at his strokes gained by difficulty of the course. He's very good on e- on easy courses, and he's pretty bad on on difficult courses. Yeah. So, I yeah I, I like him. I think I'm probably gonna bet him. I didn't I didn't see the odds on him. I forgot he, to look. He but... was a hundred to one when I put him up in my article earlier. Um, oh, love it. So love it. it's great. And and you mentioned that he goes on those little runs. Like when you look at, you know, when he came fifth here last year, he was twenty fifth at the Sony Open. He was twenty first at the Tournament Champions, which is pretty naff. But fifteenth at the Houston Open before shutting it down. So already there there's kind of three out of four weeks that he was really really good um and, you know i think he does generally telegraph uh you know what he's gonna do and and i'm pretty when i saw the hundreds one like that was more than i expected like he's bigger than loot list and i know loot list is going to model out really well because his tee screen is great but michael thompson did what loot list does last week and last week is probably the most relevant thing you're going to see right so 
come into an event where he's got really good course history, part of the world that he really likes. Um, you know, I'm I'm more than in on Michael Thompson. He's probably my favourite bet of the week, probably my favourite player of the week, um, unless that ownership gets too uh, gnarly. And then the other one was Hayden Buckley, who I imagine will be very popular. Um, just just playing really really well, striking the ball really nicely. Uh, I think he was seventh at the eighth at the Shriners, sorry, twelfth last week and fourth at the Sanderson. So since he's come to the PGA Tour, wasted no time at all really uh, in getting going, and he's there at seventy two hundred. Yeah, just before on him, I just want to say that I, uh, as as we were kind of talking there, I looked up my odds here, and I just bet a one ten to one on Thompson. So I'm 100 percent with you. In the, the two important things, fifth last year, fifth last week. That's all I need to yeah, know. Yeah, exactly. Um, Buckley, he he was kind of getting talked up a bit towards the end of last year. I remember there was an event, and he was was it the RSM? He was 28 to one. And yeah. I, yeah, and then now all of a sudden now he's kind of back down, um, in a price range that's more appropriate um yeah i, I don't mind him I, he he seems to be like you said he thought he's gonna be pretty popular i don't think he's quite as popular as um as he could be i think he's kind of in that similar range with uh thompson like you know maybe i would i would have guessed maybe 12 13 percent um so he's definitely playable i think based on ownership 7200 is a really nice price for him um yeah i, I like that play Yep, I'm pretty happy with those. I mean, there's a plethora of guys, right? And I think that like this is probably the range where, well, it will be the difference maker because um, Russell Knox, I like at 7,800, is kind of the guy that can be pretty steady. Adam Long's obviously won this before, 7,600. Sebastian Munoz, Doug Gim, 7,500. All guys that I'd be happy putting lineups. Um, you know, and then people are going to be playing Andrew Landry, winner here and a playoff loser. Taylor Moore, I liked as someone that's coming off the corn ferry and playing really good golf and could be, uh, you know, a good pivot from from someone like a from a Landry or if Buckley does get a, you know, head of steam in the ownership, that could be somewhere you go. And my final pick in the seven k range, that I'm really confident in is uh, is Andrew Putnam, and it's not a guy that I kind of expect to click on on, on any given week really. Um, but he was tied 7th in the Phoenix and tied 11th at the Shriners last year, which both correlate nicely from you know a desert golf perspective. And he was also tied 13th at the Travellers, which gives us that kind of Pete Dye form to look at. Six of his best 20 finishes on the OWGR rankings came in 2021, which suggests that he's kind of massively improving or becoming more consistent. Um, six of eight cunts this season already. Um, you know, that 11th at the Shriners was his best. He was 27th last week. Shot four rounds of 68 or better as well. Um, and he's been really solid here. You know, he's had four out of four cuts since moving to the stadium course in 2016. Three top 21 finishes and the best of 10th. And when he was 10th, he was sixth after 54 holes as well. Um, and was inside the top 10 in each of the opening two rounds last year. So really, really like Andrew Putnam. I think he's a, is a really good betting play. I know that's not the purpose of the show, but I think he's a pretty safe pick in this range. Um, and offers decent upside at 7,100. I like it. Uh, I think, you know, you said all there is to be said on him. I think he's a great play. Um, the two guys I wanted to ask you about before we moved on was yeah. Phil and Hoagie. Phil Mickelson and Hoagie. <sighs> Phil is just going to do what Phil does, and he's either going to be, you know, horrendous, or I think he can... St- I, you look at Phil Mickelson and people think, can he still win? I think he can still win this golf tournament. And that sounds that sounds ridiculous in the grand scheme of things, but people have said the same about uh, the PGA Championship last year. And eventually, that narrative of 
everyone said Phil was done, but he's done it. The PGA does have to run out. But I think for the time being, I think he still can win here. Tom Hoagie, uh, I'm out. Let me down last week. And maybe that's a terrible attitude, but three out of the, the last five events up here, he's missed the cut and was 57th on the other time. Just had that one week where he was sixth. And it'll probably be here that he does what I've expected him to do over the last two or three starts, but uh, I'm going to go in a different direction. Yep, totally get that. Um, I agree. I think Phil can still win. I'm probably going to play some Phil. So other than that, uh, I'm ready to move on here to the sixes. Yep, cool. In the in the six k range, then I think I think you can go down to this range. I think that, that that's pretty doable, as we mentioned earlier. You might have to do it uh, in terms of taking some of the top guys. Um, the first name that I kind of clicked was Matthew Neesmith, and this was basically from a correlation point of view. He was seventh, eighth, and fourteenth. Uh, seventh at Phoenix, eighth, fourteenth, and eighteenth at the Shriners, and played well at Pebble Beach as well, where it's obviously a pro-am format. Uh, so for me, I really liked Matthew Neesmith there at 6,800. I like Neesmith. Um, I, I was looking at, because um, when I write my columns, I look at the one I wrote last year, and I kind of look at it, and I was looking at, I was talking about him last year yeah. here. So definitely makes a lot of sense. Um, I'm going to play him. The, the first guy I th- thought about playing was uh, James Hahn. Yes, absolutely. So, you, you, give, yeah, he, you give me your spill on James Hahn, and I'll follow up if you miss anything. Yeah, it's mostly it's just the course uh, correlations there for him. He was great at Phoenix last year. I think he finished in tenth. Um, he has a fourth place finish here. You know, it was seven or eight years ago, but uh, he's just a West Coast guy. He's he's cheap enough, and he is the a high ceiling player, right? When he gets in the mix, you can see him kind of finish top five, top ten. He's the right type of game for here, um, and he has all the, all the course you know correlations that you want to see, and. Uh, you know he missed the cut. He hasn't played really much in a little in a little while. But I think when he was playing consistently, this is kind of where he, where he wanted to be. Thirty second here last year, uh, fifth at the Shriners in 2020, just thirteenth at Genesis. He plays. He's just a West Coast guy, cheap enough that I want to play him. Yep, absolutely. Uh, just to completely compact what you said, fourth here in 2013, fifth at the Shriners. Should have won Phoenix last year when he was tenth. He was eleventh before that also. And he's already got 15th and 27th place finishes uh, this season. He is a guy that we know comes from the clouds, right? You know, you talk about guys with winning upside in, in the 6,000 range. Uh, he's one of them. He, he's 100% one of them. Um, pretty confident he can win. Is he a better bet than he is a fantasy play? Possibly. But I think, is that kind of narrative of him being wildly inconsistent slowly going away? I, I know when you look at it, he's had two made cuts versus three miscuts so far this season so possibly not but it seems to me that James Harm was kind of creeping into a bit more consistency that might just be a feel thing rather than a that can be backed up yeah I I, uh, I think he's both a good bet and a good and a good DraftKings play that's he's not going to be popular either I, I bet he's going to be under 4% yeah that sounds good to me I'll, uh, I'll take that every day um, a couple of other names here that, that I was interested in um, I think that Hudson Swafford it's worth looking at. I think that he's he's a guy that that can play well on any given week. Uh, I believe is it here that he won in the past? He did. Yep. Yeah. Um, so yeah, 2017, he won this tournament. And if I remember correctly, he's got some correlating form as well. He's one guy that for some reason I didn't write down in my notes. So let me just see what it was that I liked about Hudson Swafford. Um, but you know, he's a guy. 48th last week when. 
people probably wanted a bit better. 33rd at Mexico, which is somewhere that he would play well uh, in the past as well. So hasn't really been doing what you'd expect him to do, but he's been ninth at the, the Phoenix Open back in 2020. Um, I guess it's just a concern that the Sony Open is someone that he's played so well so many times in the past and didn't do it. Um, that, you know, is he in a bad bottom form? But again, he could just pick it up here this week. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with you completely. He, he looks like a good play. For what it's worth, the, the guys in the 6Ks who I think are going to generate, you know, they don't, they never generate huge ownership, but I yeah. think could approach double digits could be Davis Riley, uh, Jason Duffner, and Swafford with other three guys who I'd say I'm a little bit concerned about ownership because just not because it's debilitating with that percentage just because I don't like to play that 6k chalk regardless of who it is yeah I don't think you need to I think that there's there's, there's other guys you, you mentioned say the gala last week I think he's a guy that can just uh you know contend on any given week um you know there's other Wesley Bryan was someone that was interesting to me because I couldn't find anything in the history to suggest that he would play well here necessarily. Um, but he's just a guy that hits his irons well, can get streaky with the potter. Um, was 27th last week in Sony, shot 65 in the second round. And, you know, considering the amount of time that he had off uh, with injuries, his last five starts, he's made all the cuts. Obviously, the Zozo being one of them, I think he literally finished uh, last, in, or he was right down the board. So. That's obviously not a good performance, but he had that win at the Heritage, which we like as a Pete Dye link. Uh, he was 25th there as well in the past. So it's hard because he's had so long out and hasn't been around for that long that it's hard to really know what Wesley Bryan is good at other than when he gets hot, he can hit his wedge as well and, and, and putt pretty nicely. Yeah, it's you never know what you're going to get with him. I mean, is he? my concern with him is he... All, you can say it about all these guys, but I think there's a you know there's a chance he comes in dead last, truly. Yeah. Uh, um, and but if he's good, then he is a he's a he is the right type of game. And the last guy I wanted to I wanted to look at was um, J T Poston. He he was he's been bad for a while, but he had a, he finished I think in the 40s last week, which isn't terrible. He's a great Bermuda putter. He was seventh here in 2019, um, sixth at Heritage in 2019. He's just the the places that we, we were kind of talking about, he plays very well. Um, I think he was in the mix at Heritage last year. I think he was in the mix um, in 27th at Shriners. I, it just seems, and, and 11th at Waste last year. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Poston was a guy that I was going to play. Um, and when he kind of drifted back over the weekend, it concerned me. But then when you look at it, it was kind of more the middle of it he sort of was 69 round two 72 round three and he actually bounced back nicely on sunday with 66 um and when you mentioned you know there's two top eights at the heritage um the the tide 11 for the waste management and the fourth for the shriners so that is all really good pointers towards some success as well as his two top 22s at the players championship yes so maybe 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 a spot he, he to be fair he's been very bad for a while <laughs> prior to last week but before that he missed 10 straight cuts um but it's a new season he seemed like he's to start on the right foot so he could it could be a place for him yeah and, and like you say it's just it's really hard to have any sort of conviction over these guys in a 6k range right you're gonna have to take some chances if you take some guys from uh, multiple guys from the top we're both pretty sweet on james Hahn. um hudson swafford's ownership 
does worry me. Matthew Neesmith would probably be the guy that I'd go to out of that for, for the 6,800. Um, and, and I don't think you need to, to really worry about it too much other than that. Martin Laird maybe at the 7K range flat just because he plays desert golf really well and mm-hmm. has played well in here in the past. But uh, yeah, I don't think he'll be missed. So let's go through your favorite plays, Matt, in each range. So 10K and above. I'm going to be playing Ram. A lot of Ram. Uh, the 9K range, I know you said it wasn't something that you plan on going, but if, if you had to take something. Um, so I like, I'll say this. If I play Ram, I'm, I think I might pair him, uh, pair him with Wolf just because you get the, and then you kind of balance out in the ownership. I, I like answer, but if I'm playing a chalky Ram, I don't want to go right to answer as my next guy. I think a lot of people will be starting Ram answer this week. Um, or, you know, Ram Connors or whatever. So I, I think uh, 9Ks, I'll go Wolf. Yeah, and I think, you know, I think you can still, this is a, you know, truly stars and scrubs, you know, approach to this. But if you start Ram and Wolf, you can still put in Justin Rose there that we both kind of liked. Take a chance on Lee Smith and James Hahn. That leaves you with 7,400 to take a guy that, you know, you have a bit more confidence in. You mentioned Phil Mickelson. Taylor Moore's down there at 7,300. Hayden Buckley, we said, is pretty, you know, pretty good going there. So you can either take the, the real upside or the, Mickelson, Rose, Wolf, and Ram, or or you can look at guys like a Moore or a Buckley that I think could uh, to give you a, a lower floor. I think. Yeah, and you said stars and scrubs approach, and I think if there's any week to do a stars and scrubs approach, who wins this event? Yeah, star, <laughs> either a star or a scrub. Yeah, so, yeah. so I like that. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that will uh, put a bow on it for us this week. Um, you know, I, I, I think it was one of those events that I was really keen to talk about. There was, you know, as, as the length suggests from this podcast, um, because it is such a, it's such a unique way to go about it. And I think that there isn't any one player that I'm like, right, I'm going to max him out and put him in every lineup because it is just such a difficult event to get a grasp on. And that I think helps us if anything, because it just, we know the guys that we want to play right. And it's just about trying to, put them all together in the right build and and you know you can still go balanced like there is there is a there is a way of going balanced and it looking like a good lineup it's just that is it really worth doing it out of this event when you know that long shots are gonna go right up with the favorites because the favorites don't tend to to, to fill up too many spaces in the top 10 each year yep totally agree i think you, you hit the nail on the head there yep absolutely well matt well uh well thank you for this week and uh We'll be back for more. What was the tournament next week? Uh, farmers. We're farmers, yeah. So Wednesday start. That's it. Wednesday start because it's the the NF. Is it the NFC championship game that week? Yep, NFC and AFC. Yep. Yeah. So that's what we're, we're trying to miss out on the uh, on the American football that week. So uh, best of luck this week, Matt, and uh, we'll catch up again soon. Mm-hmm.